Let's open our Bibles together now to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, we're talking about the big picture. And we've been answering some questions this summer in this series. First of all, how did we get here? And the answer is creation. And so we spent two Sundays weeks ago talking about creation. We are not randomly here. Our maker placed us here. How did we get here? Creation. Then this question, what went wrong? Because we don't live in a perfect creation now. What happened? And the answer, the fall. The first man and woman sinned against God, and we have lived in a world now cursed as a result of that. So how do we get here? Creation. What went wrong? The fall. Is there any hope? It's another question. And yes, there's hope because there's redemption available through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we just celebrated at the Lord's table. But then here's another question now. What comes next? What are we destined for? Where is all this heading? So how will all this end is a way we could phrase that. And where this ends is in complete restoration. All of this is heading toward a recreation. We can say it this way, that this all ends in a glorious new beginning. So today we're going to look at the personal truth of that, how you and I in Christ are destined for a personal, even bodily restoration. Next time, I hope you'll be here as well, as we'll go to the book of Revelation and see that the whole universe is destined for a recreation, new heaven, new earth, and we'll see that together. But today, 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to see that you and I in Christ are destined for a renewed, restored body. Now, you and I, all we know is the bodies that we have here. <clears throat> and these bodies of ours are the source, <clears throat> excuse me, of a lot of enjoyment. But we'd also say that these bodies of ours are also the source of a lot of disappointment because all of us face different things in life. We can face diseases, we can face disabilities, we can face, and I'm looking down on purpose, we can experience, experience aging. I didn't want anybody to say, why did he look at me when he said aging? But, uh, and agony in these bodies. I remember when I first realized that I was aging, uh, it was when I got glasses. Several years ago, I got glasses. Some of you were here. The, the Sunday I wore glasses for the first time, I looked immediately smarter than I ever looked before. But uh, it was just the glasses. But uh, you, you look at me and think, you need, the baldness didn't do it? You didn't notice you were getting older when you... No, because I started losing my hair at 18. So my freshman year in college, I'd get up in the morning and my pillow had hair all over it. And uh, so I had this little private battle with my hairline just going back and back. And, and I, I knew I was dealing with it. My roommate knew about it. But I didn't know everybody was noticing it until one day there in college, I was on the, in the gym and some people were up the bleachers and one guy just yells out, yells out. I thought he was a friend. He yells out, Jim Booth, do you know you're going bald? Uh, yes, I'm aware. And now everybody in college here is aware of that. But that, that wasn't aging for me. That was just being 18. That's just family stuff. But it was the eyes when I started losing it because I took some sort of pride in my great vision. So I had 2015 vision and Joy has had glasses since I've known her. And so I just had better eyes and my eyes aren't aging like everybody else. And so when I had to get glasses, I recognize I'm not seeing as clearly. That really did humble me. And I realized, okay, I'm like everybody else. I will be aging too. 
Another moment that humbled me was one day visiting my mom. This is about a decade ago, back when she still lived in North Carolina. And she used to get these medical supply catalogs, these little medical flyers, because she's a diabetic and all kinds of stuff. And so I was just sitting there one day and just thumbing through one of these, one of these magazines there and, uh, with all these medical devices. And um, as a healthy guy, uh, I didn't need any of these things. But one of them I particularly scoffed at. There was one thing that it was a contraption to help you put on your socks. And I thought, oh, my goodness, if, if I'm ever so bad off, I can't put on my own socks. That's just pathetic. So I, I just had disdain for the whole idea until, until about a year later, I had my first bout of back pain. Now I have it regularly. Something happens. And I remember trying to put on my socks in the morning. It was like the worst pain. Uh, I would love to have that product. I would love that contraption. I get it. And so eventually, all of us will be humbled by these bodies. Some of you young people in the room, you're thinking, I'm not going to get old. That's you old people. That's your problem. I'm telling you, it's coming for you. I didn't think it would happen to me either. All of our bodies will eventually decline and falter. But the good news of 1 Corinthians 15, it will not always be that way. That these bodies in the present condition is not going to be the end of the story. Not even the grave is the end of the story for this body. You will be restored. You will be resurrected if you are among the believers in Jesus Christ. So Paul's going to start this chapter, though, by affirming the gospel. We're going to go right back to redemption on our way to talking about restoration here. Paul affirms the gospel. How is it that we can be redeemed, reconciled to God? It's through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. Remember, gospel means good news. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So there is the heart of the gospel that Paul affirms again, that Jesus died for our sins. Isn't that amazing? We just celebrated it. And that Jesus was raised from the dead. This is how you and I can be reconciled to God. This is the message of redemption, that Jesus died for our sins to take them out of the way, to take away the punishment we deserve so that we could be reconciled to God. This is the gospel, the good news by which you are saved. So we would say it this way, our hope rests completely on the sacrificial death of Jesus and on his victorious resurrection from the dead and on that alone. In fact, let's, let's just affirm that together. We're trusting no one else and nothing else but the death and resurrection of Jesus to reconcile us to God. If you've added anything to that, you need to repent of whatever you've added to that. It can't be the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and my good life I'm trying to live. Now, that's now faith in yourself. Your faith needs to rest in Jesus and what he did alone, not in what you do. You're not saved by your works, not even in part. It's by the grace of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is what Paul mentions. He said, this is the gospel. It's what you're standing in. It's what you've received. It's what you have believed. Now Paul wants to give us the evidence for this really quickly for the resurrection of Jesus. Look at verse 4. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 
and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he gives his own personal encounter with the risen Savior and his transformed life that resulted, verse 8. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. So Paul's just affirming here the fact of the death and resurrection of Jesus. He points to the evidence that Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared to a number of people, including a group of 500 plus on one occasion. And he mentions that I got to know this Jesus. I met him there on the Damascus road, me, a persecutor of the church. Now I'm one who's been so transformed by the grace of God. Now I'm a proclaimer of the gospel and a passionate church planter. I was once dead in my sins, Paul would say, but now I'm alive in Christ. Can I tell you, this can happen to you today, that you can go from one who is in unbelief, or maybe you're confused in all the various things you believe. You can, you can turn from that today. Put your faith in Jesus who died for you and was raised, and you can have spiritual transformation in your life. You can be redeemed. You can be reconciled to God right now. But we're going to see in this passage also as a part of that, you can anticipate one day a physical transformation of the very body that you inhabit right now. Resurrection is coming for you. Restoration, what we also call theologically glorification. So I would say right now, our salvation is wonderful, isn't it? To know that your sins are forgiven. We sang these wonderful songs. I, I love singing too. I've been set free. Many of you can remember what it was like to be in bondage, a slave to sin, and to have Jesus forgive you and then set you free. Not that you don't still struggle with sin, but no longer a slave to it. Don't have to obey that any longer. And there's grace available. Wonderful, this salvation that we enjoy right now. To be reconciled to God. Once we were enemies of his, now we are reconciled. We're even adopted into his family. Isn't this wonderful? Right now as a believer, that the Holy Spirit lives in you. You get to be called a temple of the Holy Spirit. And he's working in you, sanctifying you over time to make you more and more like Christ. To be baptized into Christ and into this church family. To have all these believers around you walking in the same direction. Salvation is wonderful now. But Paul reminds us here in 1 Corinthians 15, the best is still to come. Glorification is coming. Ultimate restoration is coming. So when we're glorified in the presence of the Lord, that's still to come. You and I in that day will be morally and spiritually perfected. Colossians 1.22 speaks that way. Our knowledge will be fulfilled in that day. We don't become omniscient like God, but our knowledge takes on a fullness in those days. What's coming? 1 Corinthians 13 speaks that way. 1 John chapter 3 speaks that way. But then as a part of our glorification, there is the glorification of our physical bodies. We're going to be looking at that here in 1 Corinthians 15, but it's also taught to us in Philippians 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But I want you to hear the promise of newness coming to your body when Christ returns right here now, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Listen, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So Paul tells us you've been redeemed through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this salvation is still taking on its fullness here. There's coming a time when Jesus will completely reverse the fall. He's going to undo completely in due time what Adam did. He's going to reverse the curse that's on the earth. Did you notice verse 21? So Adam brought death into our experience, but Jesus has come and now he brings resurrection into our experience. Verse 22, in Adam, we're told all die, but in Jesus, all believers in him will be made alive. Verse 23 tells you the timing of when this dimension of our salvation is going to happen at his coming, we're told. And also verse 23 tells us who's going to get in on this glorified body. We're told those who belong to Christ. So here is the good news. Jesus came to redeem us and to completely restore us. Right now, your broken relationship with God because of sin, Jesus can mend it. He can reconcile you to God if you'll trust humbly in Jesus and him alone. But even that broken body that you contend with daily, there's coming a time when your salvation is completed, when even this broken body is going to be restored. This is when Jesus comes and the graves will open and you will be transformed and you will enjoy a life that's better than anything you ever even imagined. First Thessalonians 4 speaks of this as well. In verse 13, it says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. So let those words sink in a moment. Maybe you never realized that. Maybe you thought about when you leave this earth, you are done with that body forever. And you're just going to be a spirit forever somewhere in heaven. And yet, repeatedly in the New Testament, we read that there will be a resurrection of this body and how wonderful that's going to be. So your final state is not a state without a body. By the way, can I insert here? Your final state is also not to become an angel. It's just so commonplace in times of loss or times of funerals, somebody's going to say, well, they just got their angel wings. No, no, they did not get angel wings. 
angels are a separate, glorious creation of God. God made them for his purposes, but he made human beings distinct from the angels. And so when you die, you don't become an angel. If you're in Christ, you become a glorified human being, which is wonderful. And we're going to be looking at dimensions of that right now. But you're not destined to be a spirit forever without a body. Now, it's true right now in the present order, awaiting the return of Christ, when a believer in Jesus Christ dies, we have a temporary separation of our soul from our bodies. And so it is a glorious truth. The believer goes immediately to be in the presence of God and the body is buried. That's what we read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we, we commonly say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's a temporary condition. But when Jesus comes, he's going to reunite people with their bodies. So right now, our condition is this. We're in these bodies. Sadly, we will decline in these bodies. We will die in these bodies. We will decay. And if left in the grave long enough, we will return to dust. But when Jesus returns, we will be raised and we will be reunited with these bodies. So the next time you're at a cemetery... You'll be looking around and you can just remind yourself theologically from places like 1 Corinthians 15, all these graves are temporary. There's coming a day when every one of these graves will be emptied. So the, the righteous raised up with a glorified body, even we read elsewhere in scriptures that the, the unrighteous will be, they'll get a, a body suitable for the judgment that they're going to experience. But we as believers raised and glorified to be reunited with our bodies. Now somebody might say, I don't want, I don't want that. I'm so disappointed in my body, I'd like to think about me not having to deal with a body anymore. I just want to be free from this body. But what we're going to see next is going to tell you, no, you actually want the body. Now, you couldn't decline it anyway, <laughs> but this wonderful body is coming for you. So let's talk next about the glory of the resurrection body that you're destined for. We're just talking about creation, fall, redemption, and then all this restoration that's still to come. Look at verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So Paul's going to explain what type of body this is going to be with three illustrations to help us try to get a sense of this. So first of all, an illustration from agriculture, verse 36. You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen and each kind of seed its own body. Paul says, when we think about death and as we put a body in the ground, this is a bit like agriculture. And he just takes our minds to what we all know. Maybe you're a big time gardener or a small time gardener, or, or if not, you still know how it works. When you're plant something in the ground, you hope to get something different than what you put in. It's going to be the same thing, but you're counting on a transformation. So nobody takes a tomato seed and plants it in the ground and hopes after a, a few weeks to come back and get that very same seed back just like it was. It'd be a colossal waste of time. But what you do is you plant a seed and you nurture it over time that you might get some wonderful plant with all kinds of things, much better than that one little dead seed you put in the ground. Paul said, that's what it's like with your body. When a person's buried... We anticipate at the, at the resurrection, when Jesus comes again, that this body is going to come out much more glorious. So at our funerals, we have that time of committal. We there gather around the grave, and typically it goes like there, there's a body there, and we're waiting for that body to be lowered into the ground. Usually after we've already left, they'll lower that body, and they'll put some dirt over top of it, and it seems so final, but it's not final. 
keep this perspective that when your loved one is buried, that's really like the planting of a precious seed. And when Christ returns, what's going to be raised up from that grave, that very body, far more glorious than, than anything they'd ever experienced before. So there's an analogy from agriculture. There's another one here from biology, verse 39. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. We recognize that. So we survey the world and we know that humans have a type of body and animals have another type, birds a different type, and even fish, my goodness, they're very different from us. Paul's just making the point that God's able to make different types of bodies perfectly suited for the context and the kind of life he had designed for them. And likewise, he has a body for us for the resurrection, for what God has intended for us next in the restoration, in the new heaven and new earth, there's a body we're going to need for that. And God is able to make a different body, even from the one that we presently possess. And then we have this, an, an illustration from astronomy, and that's verse 41. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable and what is raised is imperishable. So he takes our minds now from animals on the earth and human beings on earth to up to the sky and what we can observe. And we see that there are various things up in space. We see a sun that differs from the moon and then we see these distant stars and planets, and they all, to our eye, have a different type of glory. And likewise, he says, the body you're in now has a type of glory. It's wonderful, but it's destined for a greater glory. So it's going to be more glorious. Then we look at verses 42 through, 42 through 44, and we see this comparison and contrast between the, the body in its present condition and what's coming. And this also is very encouraging. Verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Did you notice here? He says your present body currently is perishable. These bodies we're in now subject to sickness, to disease, to degeneration. And it's true, right? This is our experience. We don't usually use that term perishable for ourselves, but you think about all the medications available to us as humans. And the older you get, it seems like you need more of them. So here's this, all these medicines point to the fact there's something wrong with our bodies. Think of all the hospitals in our area because these human bodies are perishable. Think of all the funeral homes in our area because human bodies are perishable. It's very humbling to think of that. I'm like you, normally when I think about perishable, non-perishable, I'm thinking about things I donate to the food pantry. Like we only want non-perishable food items. Very good, I won't bring the bananas or the milk. I, I, I'm gonna take these things to you. But I've always put myself in the non-perishable category, right? I'm, I'm gonna be around. But it's very humbling when you go, no, actually, if I think about it, um, I am perishable myself. And this body, when it's buried, it's to be among the things that we consider perishable, but it won't remain that way. Isn't it amazing? That when Jesus comes, we're raised up imperishable. So this is a glorious resurrection that we're destined for. Now think about when, when we see in the Old Testament, a few resurrections in the Old Testament. We think in the New Testament, even Jesus would raise people from the dead. Perhaps one of my favorite miracles, you'll probably mention one after church. I'll say, well, okay, that's my favorite. But one of my favorite miracles is when Jesus stops a funeral 
And that widow, she had her one son that had died. And I love the compassion and the power of Jesus. He stops a funeral and raises her son back to life. I love that. But think about that. As great as that was, and it is amazing, that young man was raised up perishable again because he's going to have to die again later. What we're awaiting when Jesus comes is a resurrection of our bodies in the ground perishable, but will be raised up imperishable, never to taste death ever again. Verse 43, it's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory, it's sown in weakness. Is there anything so weak as a dead human body? But it's going to be raised in power. Then this, it's sown a natural body and it's raised a spiritual body. Natural here meaning pertaining to the earth and it's going to be raised up a spiritual body, not meaning not physical, it is physical, but suitable for heaven, for the new earth, but still very physical. So the point here, as nice as these bodies can be, these are only for the present earth, but a more glorious version of this body is to come for the new earth. It's going to be far better. Same body, but changed. Same body, but glorified. Same body, <clears throat> but perfected. And a little glimpse into what this might be like is when look, the look at the body of Jesus after his resurrection. In Luke 24, still very material. Remember, they could, they could touch him and feel him. He didn't want them to think he was somehow just a spirit. He was bodily raised. And so remember, he ate in front of them. And he says, look, a spirit can't, can't eat like this. But he also had new abilities. We watched him kind of appear in rooms and go out of rooms and things like that. So just a glimpse that this new body that we're going to have is glorious. But then we come to the question of the timing of this. When is all this going to happen? And I've spoken to it several times already, but let's see it in our text. When is this going to happen? What's the timing of this glorification of my body and soul? Verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. So Paul is telling us here, there's a need for a new and improved version of this body because you can't take this type of body into heaven and the new earth. You're going to need a new one and God is going to supply that. He's going to transform your body. And then we're told here the process. This isn't going to be some process that goes slowly over time, but there's a process here. First of all, he makes the point that if you're among the final generation and you're a believer in Jesus Christ on the day that he returns, you get to skip death. That's wonderful. You'd be changed rather than going through death and resurrection. You get to be changed in the moment. We don't know if we're that final generation. It would be nice but we don't know, but that would happen. But for the rest who've died, there is this resurrection and we need this transformed body. And he tells us how it's going to happen. He says in a moment, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. So in the amount of time it would take you to blink, the dead will be raised. And if you happen to be alive when Christ returns and you're a believer in Jesus, you'll be transformed into this glorified body. And we're told at the last trumpet again, when Christ returns. So this is that wonderful truth about glorification theologian Wayne Grudem, he speaks of glorification this way. He says, it's the final step in the application of redemption. It will happen when Christ returns and raises from the dead, the bodies of all believers for all time who have died and reunites them with their souls and changes their bodies 
the bodies of all believers who remain alive, thereby giving all believers at the same time perfect resurrection bodies like his own. I do love that, all at once. So when Christ comes, all the bodies have been in the grave. The souls of those believers have already been worshiping and enjoying the Lord, but now reunited with the bodies all at once. So Paul, who wrote this years and years ago, he's going to get his resurrection body the same time you and I are going to get our resurrection bodies. How wonderful. Then you think, but wait a minute, raising from the dead, what's that like? Listen, not mummies, not zombies, not Frankenstein. This isn't scary. This is you perfectly well. This is you in a glorious body, functioning like you've never functioned before. New abilities, glorious, and then I love it, forever in this state. In fact, that's what Paul tells us next. This is the ultimate restoration. This is the final victory. This is verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory, listen, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you know Jesus, Jesus gives you victory even over death. Right now, the best we can do is try to postpone some of the effects of aging. Right now, the best we can do is try to postpone death. Maybe we eat right. Maybe we're taking some supplements, trying to take basic care of our bodies. But nevertheless, death is coming. But Jesus one day will overthrow death entirely. So much so that we find Paul here even taunting death. Don't you love it? Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Have you ever seen somebody taunt something else? Sometimes you can go to the zoo and you might watch, watch a young boy there at the, the gorilla enclosement or whatever you call it, the gorilla cage. And it's not nice to do, but there might be a little boy there if there's glass banging on it and mocking the mighty gorilla. And he's doing so because there are bars between him and the gorilla. There's glass there. He's feeling all tough because I have this protection here from you. You can see the same thing in an aquarium. You can see those mighty sharks swimming by and you're just inches away behind that thick glass. And you might see some kid against all the signage knocking on the glass and sticking out his tongue at the shark, feeling all tough because of the glass. But this is you and me and Jesus. We are safe in Jesus Christ. And so we can be fearless as it comes to death. Because we can join the taunt, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? I'm in Christ. When I die, even before the return, I get to go immediately to be with the Lord. Like the thief on the cross learned, today you'll be with me in paradise. We can go be with God. And even one day, this body's going to be raised. Death does not get the final victory. Jesus does. And we get to share in his resurrection. So this is our future hope, but it's also our present hope. You and I can be confident through this. So Paul here was living his life in that type of confidence, explained so much of his ministry and all the suffering he was willing to endure. I'm doing this. I'm carrying out the mission I have with confidence that death, no matter what men do to me, will not get the final word. And listen, this is the same confidence that you and I can experience. So I've told you in recent weeks about my mother passing away and God's given us such great comfort. And one of the things that I've taken great comfort in and just so grateful to God that, that in the ICU, we really did have two days when mom was awake before she died. And uh, quite amazing, 
On Sunday, she was clear-headed enough. We had some conversation. On Monday, very clear. And one of the conversations was about death. And to watch her, it was such a gift to have mom awake to really to face down death, to be able to talk about death. Her prayer request to Hillary, pray that I'll have a peaceful Christian death. And that's what, that's what he gave her. But I love that display of her faith, not freaking out about dying, not terrified about dying, but just staring it down. I know it's coming. I know I know Jesus. I know I'll be with him. What a, what a great confidence. And really not unique to my mother. I mention it because I'm so glad my mother had that peace and confidence. But I've seen so many members of our church. I think about, I think about Jean Windsor, one of the ladies in our church who, who there had time in hospice care in the hospital and watching her share the gospel with people caring for her in her final days on earth. Looking at death, not, not afraid, knowing Jesus, such peace as comes. That, that can be yours as well. But you, you need Jesus the one who died for you, the one who was the one who conquered sin and death for you, trust in this one. In fact, that's what Paul says is the implication of all this. Verse 58, this is where we'll close. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that you're in the Lord, your toil is not in vain. Notice that, therefore, in light of all this talk about a resurrection body, what should you do? You should be secure. You should be rock solid in your faith in Jesus. Be steadfast and be fruitful while you're waiting on all these great things. He says, always abounding in the work of the Lord and be hopeful. No matter what suffering, no matter what difficulty, your gospel work is not in vain. Your faith is not in vain. Your suffering's not in vain. It will all be worth it. But all these promises, did you notice, therefore the believer. All these promises of a glorious resurrection body, the fulfillment of all things, this is for you who have humbled yourselves, you've acknowledged your sin, you've acknowledged that you can't save yourself, and you've asked Jesus, the one and only, to save you. And I pray you'll do that today. Paul mentioned here about, to these Corinthians, you received this message. Have you received this message that this is the one and only gospel? Jesus can save me. I'm trusting only him. He said, this is what you're standing in. Are you standing in this gospel? Have you believed this? Believing me, I've trusted Jesus. I don't trust me and what I've tried to do. I trust only Jesus. In fact, here's a great moment for you to, to be redeemed, to be reconciled by asking Jesus to save you. In fact, you could pray it like this. Jesus, I recognize my sinfulness. I recognize that I'm unworthy, but I know that you died for me. You were raised from the dead. And I understand now I need to believe in you. I need to trust you to make me clean. I need to trust you to reconcile me to God the Father. And so Jesus, I'm asking, would you save me?